AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Hey, John, I heard you have a story about the point of sale uh, malware. Uh, we do. So there's, um, it's not necessarily super new because this malware's kind of been out there for maybe a few years now, uh, but it's only really started been reporting on recently here. So the name of the malware is uh, DM Sniff, and the differentiator here is that it uses domain generation algorithms for its command and control. So that gives it a little bit of um, flightiness and about, you know, to, to hide from maybe network defenders so that it doesn't uh, get detected as easily. It is somewhat successful. You know, we've seen some infections of this um, uh, out there, mostly restaurants and things of that nature uh, being compromised, uh, you know, with this malware. Uh, it does very typical things that most of this malware does that we've seen before. We've looked at some point of sale malware in the past. <clears throat> For the most part, you know, it's a program that sits there and looks at active uh, processes running, and then it kind of inspects memory to see, does this process, is it handling strings or texts that look like a credit card, uh, you know, the credit patterns for credit right. card data? And if it is, it scoops it up and then shuffles it off to um, the command and control. The, um, like we said, the command and control, it is a domain generation algorithm. It is HTTP, um, and uh, it's very predictable. It has some elements to it that is very easy to find. So there are some signatures out, uh, snort signatures, as well as uh, suricata signatures to find this. So um, if you are um, a, you know, a security or you, you have some security appliances around your point of sale, you potentially could detect this uh, if you have it in your network. They're using some sort of new technique. I don't know how successful it is. Um, with the DGA, but you know it has been successful because they've been under the radar for some time. So I know, I mean, like a few years ago, everyone was talking about the DGA domains, and everyone was worried, concerned about it. But it seems like it's very complicated, even for the malware, you know, the bad guys to maintain and and keep up with. Is that one of the things that limits the usage of the D, of DGA? I mean, in this case, well, it seems like I think they, it's been going on for a couple of years. It has been going on for a right? while, so. You know, if at first you're a security defender, you might see this and go, oh, look, they got some goofy domain names here. Let me put them into my security appliances to say anybody who talks to this, it's no good. And then you go on and move on with life. Um, but with a DGA, it's going to predictably change to something new. And you might not, if you're not following Probably. it all the time, you, you might lose track of it and it still persists. Right. Yeah, that's, that's one of the big reasons why the DGAs aren't all that attractive is the the malware is on system someplace somebody like me or John or, you know sits down in a, and reverses the domain generation algorithm so now we've got a python script that that can generate all of those same and just block right. names for the future right. and we can exactly we can then generate them out a week or a month or a year and now we know all of the ones they're going to try in the next year until they change their algorithm. Right. So in this, I think in this case, um, you know, this is kind of targeting smaller businesses and medium-sized, a lot of restaurants, and I think they mentioned cinemas and right. just entertainment. So they're probably, you know, they're probably not going to have uh, anything sophisticated as far as uh, security-wise. You know, it's hard to say how well protected they're able to be, right? Because they're restaurants. They're trying to do 
you know, excel at being a restaurant and serving food, and this is the last thing on their mind. So just uh, something to be aware of. Uh, point of sale malware is not good because we do see it a lot, and um, it makes you think twice every time you go someplace right. and swipe a credit card. <laughs> and I know there's been some really big data breaches related to um, uh, point of sale with credit card theft or uh, uh, very large retailers. So uh, definitely something that if you're a small business, you want to preserve your reputation. You know, make sure you're not going to damage your customers either by releasing accidentally any of their um, credit card information. So, the biggest thing with the, with point of sale systems is they're they're kind of stripped down OSs, so they need to be isolated to the extent you can. Also, you know, from a physical aspect perspective, don't allow customers to get too close or don't expose the USB ports or other things that might allow somebody just passing by to introduce malware onto your point of sale system. Hey Jim, uh, I understand there's a new uh, kind of reverse compiler disassembler that's available. Um, it's free, right? Yeah, uh, at RSA, a week, two weeks ago, whenever it was, uh, the NSA released a tool that they had been talking about for a few months, which I've been calling Hydra, but apparently I look at their GitHub and it's actually Ghidra. And I've been playing around with it a little bit in in the last week or so, and thought I'd show you guys a little bit yeah, of it. Yeah, I'm kind of interested uh, to see uh, how it works. So I, I took a couple of the samples that we use in the uh, SANS class, the reverse engineering class when I teach it, mm -hmm. and I threw them in here. So yeah, so you you open up a new project, you throw in whatever binaries you want to look at, and then you know to, to run it, you just double click on it, would you like it to, an to analyze it? It gives you some choices, and the defaults seem to be fine. I haven't actually played with any of the, the non-defaults here. Mm -hmm. And now you've got basically all of the tools that you'd expect to have in a reversing, you know, something like IDA. Right. Uh, you know, this hasn't replaced IDA for me yet. Uh, there are a few things that IDA has that it, this doesn't have. But you know you can do all of the basic things. You know you can come over here and look at the imports, mm -hmm. and you can see this is obviously doing some registry stuff. And one of the nice things you'll see over here in the, this pane on the right-hand side is it tries to decompile it. Oh, I was just noticing that. So that was my question because I know with IDA Pro we use hex rays a lot right the and 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 i love their decompiler well these guys have a decompiler built in as well decompiling is hard as the program gets compiled and optimized a lot of the context is lost so going back the other direction is really hard and they seem to be doing a pretty good job of it so it looks like it's going to be a really nice tool um, especially for those who don't have a huge budget right Right. Just just with having a, not a whole lot of time to play with it, I'm liking it so far. Other than it, uh, it did seem slow on my Windows laptop when I first fired it up on there. Um, maybe I didn't have enough memory in that one. I've got more memory in this one, and it, it's been really peppy when I've been playing with it right. so far on the Mac. So, is this a good tool if someone's just getting started in reversing to start using? 
Yeah, probably. Um, given that I've only worked with it for a week, right. but it, it it has all of, it, or at least a lot of the capabilities of you know of some of the other tools that the folks are using out there today. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, the fact that they have the decompiler in there. The built-in decompiler is huge. That's a huge feature. Because most of, the, of these other free ones don't have that in there. Yeah. And they, I need that. I and, can't. <laughs> I'd rather read C <laughs> than assembly. Yeah, well, and, really. and, and, and most of the time when I have this ability, I'll, I'll do a quick look here. If, if they weren't able to do any decent decompilation, then I'll look at, you know, more closely at the assembly language, because you're right. Reading all of the assembly language instructions and trying to figure out what each one does is not very efficient. Right, it's a little hard, unless you do it all the time, it, it get, it's a little right. hard to follow. Right. Uh, I think that for any beginner, that, I think that's a really good feature to have, because it's you know, much easier to read what's happening in the, in the decompiler. All right, so I, very I, cool. I, I think it's got some real possibilities, and again, it's free. Uh, NSA has promised they're going to open source it, although the source is not yet on their GitHub page, but they're promising that that's coming soon. So, if, and so far, we don't see any like little weird beacons come out of it. Back to the NSA, right? I I have not. <laughs> uh, back to HQ. And when the, when the source comes out, I know that there will be lots of people looking for uh, it. Right. <laughs> so. I, I don't expect that they'll be there because there will be lots of folks looking right, for it. Right, uh, yeah, but everyone would be probably paranoid conspiracy theory think that, you know, you would suspect something like that. But let me, let me put my tinfoil sure hat on. Yeah, they're smart <laughs> enough not to try to do something. And, and, and one of the nice things, is, I was talking to Manish earlier about this, one of the nice things is, you know, they've got a whole lot of people there. If they really decide to share some of their work, you know, plugins and and that kind of stuff. Uh, this could turn out to be a really nice tool. All right, very cool. Thanks for uh, bringing this uh, onto the show today. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Yeah, it's great having Jim here this week um, in person. I mean, we can do a lot remotely with video conferencing and that kind of stuff. There's something about being able to just sit in a room and just throw ideas back and forth and hear what they're working on. So. It's always good to get out here, and that's why I try to do it once or twice a year. So Manish, I understand you got info on another crypto miner out there? I do. Uh, so the research at, at, uh, researchers at 360 Total Security, they discovered this new, uh, it's kind of a modular um, cryptocurrency miner. It's called a PS Miner. This module has implemented the worm capabilities, so it leverages known vulnerabilities in uh, different uh, servers like Elasticsearch, Hadoop, Redis, Spring, WebLogic, ThinkPHP, mm. and SQL Server. Right, so it okay. you know it's 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 got these uh, it looks for these vulnerabilities, um, and then once it finds it, it you know it infects a machine. So it's targeting servers rather targeting than servers, right. like endpoint. That's right. Users or whatever. Right. Okay. So it's looking for uh, very high compute powered uh, servers that they can use to you know, more effectively mine for cryptocurrency. So the, the module is called systemcl.exe and uh, it's written in the Go language. Um, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, right? It is, yeah, because uh, we started to see a lot more Go malware right, samples recently. like in the past year or so. Yeah, so, yeah. right. Um, yeah, so it targets those uh, um, 
you know, vulnerable servers, and it's got, you know, a bunch of CVEs from 2014 to 2018, right? So these are known CVEs, vulnerabilities that just haven't been patched on a lot of servers. Hmm. Um, so the thing is, so once the once the malware is, is installed, um, you know, it, ex it executes a PowerShell script, and that PowerShell script downloads this, uh, it's called Windows update.ps1, uh, and that's kind of like the uh, the master module of the malware. So once that in that's installed, then it goes and grabs the 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 mining uh, the actual coin mining uh, uh, part of the malware. Mm -hmm. Once it's infected, it exploits one of the servers, and then uh, it downloads that uh, PowerShell script, which then downloads the 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 actual mining uh, software, which is Windows Update.exe, is the file. So they're trying to hide themselves right. from like a legitimate right, right. looking Windows Correct. program. Right. Uh, one of the interesting things that, that I found about this one is, is the modularity itself. Right. The bad guys can relatively simply drop a new exploit in when they find one so that on the next round they can scan for another type of server or you know, target another piece of software on the server. And then there's also, uh, you know, it has a, um, a persistence mechanism. Um, so that, that PowerShell script, um, it, it drops it into like a Windows temp folder. And then uh, it creates this update service for Windows service, um, which I think it, and it, it runs on a, under a scheduled task like every 10 minutes. So that's how they're maintaining persistence. And that, that's part of the, you know, like what Jim just mentioned. Yeah. It's, they can start dropping any, any new vulnerability that comes out. They can just start dropping that into the module. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like, like the, these big data platforms like Elasticsearch, Hadoop, Redis, that there have been a lot of, like, people putting them out in a misconfigured right. state, right. insecure state right. a lot. Open right. it up to the internet. I don't know why they're doing that. shouldn't but be there. You should be careful when you deploy right. this. Well, and, or any and, of these. And it's... And it's the servers lately that seem to be the big targets of these crypto miners because they've got the you know the CPU horsepower behind them. I mean, why try to infect an IoT device? Right. You know, take with a miner when it'll yeah. take forever. Right. If you can get on a you know a big honking server that's got you know multiple CPUs, lots of cores, lots of memory, and you know go off and run in the background and you know the Hope that the system admins don't even notice. Right, that is there. Running Especially that if it's called Windows Update, they're probably right. not going to notice. Right. right, or well, I mean, unless you're like <laughs> one of us. But well, if you're a paranoid sysadmin, a novice you'll know that, sysadmin but. may or may not. So, all right, cool. Uh, well, definitely something people should be aware of and look out for. You know, not just this one, but I know there are a bunch of cryptocurrency miners targeting server right, platforms. Right. Yep. So it's just another patch of yet another bad guy out there. The big thing is, if the service doesn't need to be exposed to the internet, don't open it to the internet. All right, so I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. Um, nothing super amazing going on, uh, fair skies as, as it were, but um, we'll take a look at the movers and shakers that um, are doing a little bit of stuff. Uh, but nothing surprisingly new. So this is the um, most pro ports uh, for the last week. And uh, nothing super special here. Uh, the port 8545 TCP did move up 11 positions uh, to number seven spot. Uh, port 8080, we're gonna talk about that one in a second. 
443 and 480 are just your normal web ones looking for probably web consoles and stuff. 81 TCP up near the top there is probably related to the go-ahead web server, um, which has a vulnerability. Um, uh, but nothing otherwise uh, surprising here. So let's go look at the most sources probing, because these are generally where you see <clears throat> activity that's a little bit more interesting, because you've got a bunch of sources scanning for a particular port all at the same time, which usually means there's probably somebody telling them to do that, like a botnet operator. So we're going to take a quick look at port 445 TCP again. That is uh, the Microsoft uh, file sharing port. Uh, we'll also take a look at port 8080 again, uh, which we haven't looked at maybe in a while, or at least I haven't shown it on the show in a while. And uh, 5555 TCP, which I did not highlight here, that is the Android debug port, but there's actually, uh, more often we see them targeting, I can't remember what it is now, um, it's one of those TR69 ports for some oh, other type okay. of um, router out there, some little embedded device. And we see a lot of those TR69 SOAP type requests uh, in our honeypots coming towards this port. Uh, 5900 TCP, which is VNC, did move up quite a few positions. We'll take a look at what that looks like as well. Probably the biggest thing that got my attention in the internet weather was how little had changed. We don't usually go for very long periods of time without something cropping up. And I'm wondering if this is the calm before the storm. So let's just jump ahead and look at uh, some of the ones that I thought were interesting changes. So this is a little busy chart here, but I'll try to explain what's going on here. This is uh, the Microsoft file sharing port, 445 TCP. And this is actually a one-year chart. I wanted to take a long-term look at it because I was kind of um, confused about what was going on here. So when you look at the bottom here, this is the number of sources that are seen scanning on an hourly basis for the past year. And you can see that this is a pretty steady state. Doesn't have a lot of deviation in the number of scan sources for peaks and lows and, and whatnot across the past year. A lot of this I probably attribute to mostly WannaCry infections or other um, malware that has infected using that MS-17010 exploit that WannaCry was kind of notorious for exploiting. And you can see pretty clearly the, you know, the daily peaks and the weekly I mean, you can see where the weekends are. And right, yep, yeah, where you get the big, a little bigger gap here, like towards these parts here. Yeah. These are probably the weekends, the weekends right? Where people shut their machines off, right? Right, right. Um, when you look at the scan flows, though, something is different. So even though we have the same number of scan sources that we normally have, you can see that there is a little bit of a hump, but even more recently, mm -hmm. towards the end of last year, and then again, more recently, a big kind of swell uh, towards the tail end there, where we went you know, from a kind of noise floor of maybe 300, is this 300 million scan flows per hour? We're now up to maybe 700. So that's almost more than a more doubling than of um, activity. I think it's probably some small number of scanners that and are contributing to that big hump there. really aggressive. Yeah, but I didn't, it wasn't really obvious to me because I did a, a quick uh, peek in our ScanSip data to yeah. see if I could figure that out. That's but interesting. It needs a little more analysis for that. So then uh, port 8080 TCP, um, this is also a one-year chart because uh, I thought it was kind of interesting to show how this started and how it's just kind of like stayed at some kind of noise level there uh, consistently. And um, so somewhere back maybe probably middle of May of last year, 
2018 is when we started <clears throat> to see you know, a very small amount of traffic go to a very regular repeated amount of traffic. This is like clearly there's some sort of botnet going on here for it to jump like that and then kind of stay like this in a number of scanning. And uh, point in fact, there was a piece of malware that came out, the VPN filter malware, that was targeting vulnerable QNAP devices and QNAP lists on this port. And even today when I looked in our um, honeypot, I could see that there was a lot of QNAP um, probing going on on port 8080. So I believe that's probably what's contributing to most of this still. And oh, here's the security advisory from QNAP talking about the VPN filter malware. And I guess I wanted to point out that this release date of their advisor came out on May 24th, which aligns pretty closely with uh, this activity and when it's, it was maybe a week afterwards or something from it starting that they put out their advisory. And then the last one that I thought was interesting here is the number of scan sources on uh, port 5900 TCP, wow. which is VNC. And you can kind of see this again, well, actually this is a 90 day chart, so not that far back, but it's, uh, you know, it's, this is kind of our, normal operation of scanning activity that we see here uh, is what you see down here. But then something started to change and there's somebody getting a lot more interested. Um, and when I say somebody, I mean a lot of somebody's because we went from you know, maybe 500 to 600 scan sources per hour to you know, eight, 9,000, I guess somewhere 10,000 at some point uh, invest, you know, in, uh, devices that are scanning on this port. So there's somebody out there who's got a botnet going that's actively looking for devices um, that have VNC running. So that's one that people should be aware of. You know, if you have these types of services exposed, you should consider whether they should be. And as we say a lot, you know, if it doesn't need to be exposed to the entire internet, don't. You know, filter it to only those source IPs or address blocks that need to get right. to it. And if you need to do remote desktop kinds of things, VNC kinds of things, you know, tunnel that through a VPN or something, just don't expose it. Right. Yes, I agree. All right. That's it. Thanks. Thanks. Yep. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.